know, Stephen mentioned in getting aged and adapting to change. Well, speak for yourself, mate. But uh, <laughs> no, it, it is it is really good to be here, and uh, it's great to see uh, friends and familiar faces, and some faces I don't know, which is a, a fantastic sign uh, of church just growing. So, just the next thirty minutes, I'm just going to be continuing the series that we started. Um, you see behind me the, the the great banner. Hope is here. And the tagline for this, this three-week series is Aftermath, Jesus Appears to Many. And uh, we've come through Easter, we had Palm Sunday a couple of weeks ago, we had Easter last week and Resurrection Day, which is absolutely fantastic. But of course, the whole of that passage of Scripture through the Gospels and in the, the first chapter of Acts speaks about Jesus appearing, and but hope is here. And so the, the, the main title of the is, is Aftermath, and the Acts 1 verse 3 says, Jesus appeared by many irrefutable proofs to many. So Jesus rose from the dead. And that is the cornerstone of everything we do at church is we believe that Jesus is alive today. Now, you might be new to church. You might be new to Christianity. Well, what do you mean? Is Jesus really still alive? The Bible tells us that Jesus rose on the third day. And we believe that. We fix everything on it. Paul says, if there's no resurrection, we are to be pitied. Christianity is a pitiable religion if we don't believe in the resurrection. So this morning, I'm just going to just unpack a few things um, over the next 30 or so minutes and, and maybe even draw a response from you because it's really important in church that I don't just speak to you. God really wants to speak through you to those around you. You might have been a, a Christian for many, many years and maybe some of the things we unpack this morning you think, actually, I've never really got a handle on. So this morning, hopefully, I'm going to resource you and equip you. That's what the Bible says we're to do in teaching is to equip the saints for works of service. So this is not just about listening this morning. This is about taking some things away that you can use later. I love takeaways, as you can, as you can tell. Um, not many of my jackets fit because I love takeaways. But this is some takeaways for this morning. See, aftermath, what happened? Well, as we read through the chapters of John 20 and 21 and also the end of Luke and the other Gospels, we just find Jesus has been crucified. He's been laid in a tomb and then he's risen from the dead. But yet there is still a disconnect between what's happened and what is going to happen. Despite the fact that Jesus is telling his disciples on numerous occasions, I will be crucified, I will be killed, I will be laid in a tomb, and then three days later I will rise from the dead. Read through the scriptures, it's there. He says it time and again. But yet it really happens. You know, the word aftermath is not really a pleasant word. If you've ever watched the news, you've seen um, an earthquake um, reported on or a volcano or a or in this country, floods, or, you know, or whirlwinds and hurricanes. We see the aftermath, don't we? We see complete devastation. As we read through the Bible, we notice this is what happened to the disciples. They were completely devastated. All of a sudden, the guy who walked on water, the guy who made blind eyes see, Jesus who fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves and a few fish, had gone. It's like having your star batsman at cricket. He's whacking them for sixes and fours. A bit like Kevin Peterson, that well-known English South African. And then suddenly Kevin's out, and then the, the job of saving the game is up to the rest of the team. What did he do? That's an aftermath, because he was, he was just imperious. But then it's down to the disciples. Take the game forward, guys. Move on. But what do we do? And you and I, we, we live in a, a real world. We live in a world with lots of real-life situations where people so often can be devastated by, by events. Maybe it is death of a loved one. Maybe it's news of a, a terrible illness or sickness. Maybe you lose your job. 
Maybe you've been devastated because of breakdown of relationships. And there's an aftermath. There's that space, there's that vacuum. You feel empty, you feel bereft. And, you know, lots of things we can feel. We can feel grief, we can feel frustration. Sometimes the aftermath of a, of a, of a world-changing event in our world can just drain us of all strength. It can leave us feeling hopeless, which is why this morning we need to hear hope is here. It's behind me. It's on the screen. Hope is here. Maybe this morning you feel a bit of disbelief. Maybe you just lost your way slightly. You're feeling a little bit demotivated. The disciples are just like that. And the scripture is there for us. The Bible is there for us that we might learn from it, but then move on to greater maturity. Peter, in his epistle, 1 Peter 3.15. He talks to believers and he says, be ready at all times to give an answer for what? For the hope that is within you. So this morning, guys, if you know Jesus, if you come to faith in Christ, you have a hope that is within you, but also the Bible expects us to be ready to give an answer. There are some people in your world I will never meet. There are some people in your world that Christian and Phil and Stephen will never meet, but you'll meet them. And hopefully this morning there'll be just something you can get actually, Andy, that's good. I've got an answer. When I meet these people, when I see these people at work, when, when I'm, I'm just in college, when I'm in school, when I'm in, in meeting people around me, maybe there's some answers that I wasn't really sure about. So this morning, I'm going to give some takeaways. Now, I've got three points coming up in a, in a bit, and there'll be some slides later. By all means, I'm happy if you take pictures of the slides. I'm more than happy if you just take, get your camera phones out. It happens in business meetings. Somebody will put a slide full of figures up and suddenly all the managers are taking pictures of the slides of figures. But yeah, please feel free to take pictures of the slides. That's fine. But also, the notes are written in such a way, if you want the notes afterwards, I'm also happy to email them to you as well. Like I said, our, our job as leaders and as teachers and as, as pastors is to just equip you for works of service to maturity. Paul says that you might become equipped for works of service in the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature attaining to the whole measure of Christ. See, this stuff you've been given, this new life you have is way too good to keep to yourself. We're here to be ready to be equipped so we can move on, and more important, we can pass it on. If all I'm ever going to do is speak to you guys, this is pointless. Most of you know Christ already. It's completely pointless. It's got a job. It's got to, it's got to work through us to those around us. And some of the things I'm just going to unpack this morning, hopefully you'll see that I'm not a theorist because these things happen to me. These things happen to my family. These things are real feelings, real emotions that I have definitely experienced in the 45 years of being around. So first of all, we're going to look at um, the real emotion, emotion of aftermath of grief. Now, please hear me rightly. I'm not going to undermine grief. I'm not going to give you any trite answers. I know grief is real. And I know grief is painful. I know it all too well myself. The grief really can affect you. And in John 20, verse 15, we see Mary Magdalene. She, she goes to the empty tomb. Jesus is not there. But what can grief do? Mary was there. She was on her knees. She was crying. She was sobbing. I know that grief just gives you that sense of loss. You could feel lonely. You could feel empty. I know some people who wish to die as well. Maybe their husband or wife has died for 50, 60 years and they just lose the will to live. That is real. 
happens to people. Maybe sometimes it's a physical feeling. Sometimes, I remember, you just, you just feel actually feel sick. You lose your appetite. You just don't want to eat. It's a real feeling. It's a real emotion. There's a vacuum. There's an emptiness. There's a temptation that you can isolate yourself and just lock yourself away from those around you, those who you love. There's also a, a real danger sometimes with grief that we can just lose our long-term view. All we can see is right in front of us. Now, guys, please hear me. I'm not belittling grief. Grief is a real emotion. But Mary was in the garden, and suddenly there was a figure next to her. You see, in the middle of grief, Jesus appears. And you might think there's no other way out of it. It's all darkness. It's all lost. But Jesus appears. But Mary is crying so much, she doesn't recognize at first who it is. She thinks it's the gardener. And grief's okay. Jesus himself wept. In John eleven thirty five, at the death of Lazarus, the Bible says Jesus wept. He knew this emotion of grief. And grief is fine. But here's a lesson for you. Don't let it obscure your view of Jesus. Because Jesus appears in that moment of absolute grief, of absolute devastation. I can promise you, from personal experience of what the Bible teaches, Jesus appears. And what does Jesus do? He says, Mary. That is so powerful. But the saviour of the world, the guy who walks on water, the creator of the earth, knew her name. There was a personal connection between Jesus and Mary. This morning, I promise you, he knows your name. Stephen's already prayed it. He knows your name. There's nothing more important. My dad died just 10 years ago. So I think it's just 10 years ago. See, the grief is still there. And if a mum were here this morning, she'd confirm that as much as I love my dad, as much as my dad loved me, what's the most important thing? That Jesus knows my name. That I know the name of Jesus. For mum, that'd be more important than anything else. My relationship with my dad is important, but the relationship to my heavenly father is so much more important. And in that moment of grief, when nothing else appears right, in Psalm 139, it's on the screen there, it says, even if I'm in darkness, even when I'm in darkness, still you are there. And you might think this morning that loss of that loved one, maybe it's from a divorce or a separation or maybe a relationship breakdown. Maybe you've lost a loved one to death. Still in that moment, Jesus appears. It's fantastic because Mary, on hearing her name, she knew exactly who it was speaking to her. She recognized the voice of Jesus. I want to promise you this morning, learn to recognize the voice of Jesus. And in those moments of absolute darkness, in the aftermath, in devastation, Jesus appears. She said this word, she said, in Hebrew was Rabboni, which means teacher. You know, if we're in a place where we can receive instruction from Jesus, there is no better place. Because Jesus just wants to teach your heart. He wants to show you things that you can then be impact others around you. We need to receive instruction, and sometimes that's tough. I've been around 45 years. I know being told what to do is difficult sometimes, well, most of the time, being honest. But Samuel sums it up when he says, Speak, Lord, because your servant is listening. And Mary was in that place. She said, Teacher. What a great response. She recognized Jesus. 
move on to John 20, verse 25, we have one of the most famous characters in all the Bible. His name was Thomas, but you all know him as Doubting Thomas. And even you might have been called a Doubting Thomas in, in, your, own, in your own life. You see, the disciples had all seen Jesus appear. They were in a locked room, and Jesus appeared to them, but Thomas wasn't there. And he said, now, I don't believe you. Unless I see him myself, unless I actually touch his wounds myself, I won't believe that Jesus is alive. And the verses show us in verse 25 that Jesus appears to Thomas. He says, Thomas, here I am. Here's my wounds. Put your hands in my wounds. Feel my side where the spear went in. Thomas, I am alive. You know, doubt is a, perhaps the first sin a man ever, ever committed was doubt. Doubt isn't a sin itself. But in that moment, Satan said to Eve, did God really say? Doubt was sown and doubt causes disbelief. Doubt can stop you making progress in Christ. What doubt also does, it leaves you entrenched. When you don't believe things, you stay in your position. This is my position, like Thomas. I'm not moving. I really, really want to see Jesus alive in myself. Otherwise, I won't believe it. See, doubt can stop you progressing. Doubt brings cynicism. It stops you moving. Doubt brings confusion. But Jesus appears in verse 27. Put your finger here. Stop doubting and believe. Do you have moments of doubt yourself? Do you ever have time to think, God, is that really what you wanted me to do? Or you've got a situation that didn't quite work out. The disciples were expecting Jesus to lead them away from Rome. The disciples were expecting Jesus to be around forever, despite the fact he told him he wasn't going to be. And suddenly he wasn't there, and doubt didn't creep in. Doubt stormed in. But Jesus appears. Hope is here. Even in moments of doubt, Jesus appears. And Thomas, he recognized, as soon as he touched Jesus, he recognized him on one of the most, one of the best verses in all the Bible. In verse 28, he says, my Lord and my God. That is the most important phrase you could ever make in front of Jesus, is when you commit your heart to his lordship, to his rule. When you recognize that God created absolutely everything, but yet, there's holes in his hand and feet. And the wound in his side is there for you right there. And sometimes, well not sometimes, but all the time, we have to relinquish self-rule. That is really difficult. I'm a 45-year-old man. Giving rule away is not easy for me. Being told what to do, I've already confessed, is not an easy thing for me to do. But Thomas, right in that moment, my Lord and my God, what a fantastic phrase the most famous passage in the bible is the lord's prayer and it says our father who art in heaven he's straight away giving god the position that is his and his alone he rules he reigns but there needs to be a pathway that sometimes our heart goes yeah my lord and my god i've had to come to that point on so many times so many situations where i've let i've let doubt I've let cynicism creep in. But I have to come back to that point where I say again, oh, my Lord, my God. The Greek actually means like the Lord of the manor, a, 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 a ruler of an area. And the area that needed ruling for Thomas was this, my Lord, 
my God. And Jesus said, you've seen and you've believed. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. I've never seen Jesus in bodily form. I've never put my hands in his wounds. And Jesus says, I'm blessed for it because I believe that he is my Lord, my God. The third thing we'll look at, we've had grief, we've had doubt. There's so many other things I could bring out this morning, but time prevents that. It's frustration. In John chapter 21, we find the disciples fishing. Right? The Saviour, the resurrected Lord, and they're fishing. What is happening? Now, if you know the Gospels, you know that they were fishermen. And Jesus called them away from that, said, come with me, and I'll make you fishers of men. But all the way through the Gospels, whenever Peter and James and John were frustrated with life, what did they do? They went back to fishing. Now, I hate fishing, all right? My dad tried to teach me the joys of fishing when I was a kid. To be honest, sitting on a grassy bank with a rod and a piece of string in my hand with a hook on the end and with a, with a maggot isn't fun for me, okay? My dad loved it, and he was very patient, untangling my line time after time. Of course, I had a brother who was only 15 months younger than me, so we were both at it. Give me a net any day for sticklebacks, but fishing, no, it's not for me. But it's frustration, isn't it? And into this, Jesus appears. What does frustration do? Whatever. Have you ever done that? In the natural, whatever. I've been through situations recently with, with work where you just say, whatever. There is another phrase, whatever. Whatever he says to you, do it. But this phrase is, how many of you are guilty of shrugging your shoulders at God sometimes? Whatever. The disciples went back to what they knew. They went back to their comfort zone. And sometimes, although it's not very often Jesus puts, put, drops into things we don't like doing, he gives us the passions of our heart. But sometimes we can just lean back to what we know best. Lean back to what we knew 20, 30, 40, 50 or more years ago. But God's got something new for us. We can lose motivation. We lose our sense of adventure. And these disciples have certainly lost that. They were given the keys to the kingdom. Jesus instructed them what they could do. You can cast out demons in my name. You will, you will pray for the sick. They will be healed. You will pray for the blind and sight will be restored. Now, nah, let's go fishing instead. I'm going fishing. But Jesus appears. Now, if you know me, you know I like a bit of a laugh. You know I like a bit of humour. And, and this scripture, it just, it just tickled me when I read it again this week. It just really did. Because you've got the fishermen. These were experts at fishing. That was their job. That's what they knew what to do was fishing, all right? Fishing. They're good at fishing. They've been at it all night. And they've caught nothing. Not even a stickleback. Not even a sprat. They've caught absolutely zero. Now, don't you just love it when you're really good at something when a novice comes along and scores a hole-in-one in golf, Kev? How would you feel if you know, Kev loves his golf? Imagine, first-time player, whacks that ball into the hole. How annoying is that? And there's a guy on the shoreline, and I'm going to give him an English accent. I know Jesus was Hebrew, but I'm going to give him an English accent. I say, chaps, hey, you there in the boat? Have you caught anything? Can you imagine what Peter was thinking right then? Peter was a northerner from that country. And for those of you from Lancashire and Yorkshire, I'm sure you can think of some choice phrases that Peter may have used at that point. This guy on the shoreline said, I say, have you caught anything? I bet it all night. 
I'm a fisherman. I'm stripped to the waist. Nothing's happening. I just love it. Do you remember that Harry Enfield sketch? Like, Holy me. You don't want to be doing it that way. Do it the other way. Put it on the other side of the boat, Peter. Put it on the other side of the boat. And you'll find lots of fish. Who's this guy? Who is this guy? Jesus appears. They drop in the nets as instructed. And as they started to pull it up, the net was full to bursting. So many fish, they could hardly pull into the boat. And then John turns around and says, it's Jesus. John recognized immediately this was Jesus on the scene. And Jesus was saying, just put the net on the other side. Do you know what? I wouldn't play poker with Jesus. He'd know the hand every time. He'd just lose, wouldn't you? Now, I know that's on podcast, so there is no theology behind Jesus playing cards, all right, before you get the, uh, the matches. But um, Jesus, he's on the shoreline. Peter dives in to, to get to Jesus on the shore and leaves his mates to bring in the boat full of fish. But here's the best part. Jesus already has a fish on the fire. He's ready with a fish already. Jesus has got breakfast. How great is that? You're the expert. You're doing what you, need to, you're doing what you know best all day, all night. But Jesus goes, fish on the coals, barbecued fish. What better for breakfast? I just love, I love that. See, Proverbs 18.24 said, says there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And despite everything the disciples had gone through, despite the fact they'd gone back to their old ways because they were frustrated at the, the lack of direction they now got, Jesus turns up with breakfast. Don't you just have, love having a meal with a friend? I do. There's nothing I like more than eating with friends. We had a great picnic just a couple of weeks ago with with uh, Justice and Anna and Stephen and Lini were there. What a great afternoon it was, just eating with friends. And here's Jesus. He's got a fish on the coals, ready to eat. You see, John recognised Jesus. And I want you to note something here. The breakfast were already prepared. As we read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, God is constantly preparing things for you. In Genesis, he prepares an earth ready for man to inhabit throughout the Bible is preparing humanity for the sacrifice of Jesus and even this morning I want you to believe that God has prepared this morning for you whatever's going on in here God knew you were going to be here see God sees time in one span that's why you don't play poker with him he just sees everything all in one go he knew you were going to be here this morning and he has something prepared for you. So maybe just something I've said this morning is just hitting in. Let's go, yeah, I have lost people. I am grieving. I do have those doubts. And boy, I could write the book on frustration. I do have frustrations. But Jesus appears and hope is here. Hope really is here. You know, three times I've used that word recognize. I've already said to you, I've never seen Jesus. I don't know he's there. I've learned to recognise his voice. I've learned to recognise the Holy Spirit just prompting me. Do I get it right all the time? Absolutely not. You better believe it. Am I a little angel who walks two inches above the floor? I don't think so. But yet, Jesus appears to me. You see, he promised in his word, 
Matthew 28, 20, I am with you always. So wherever you're at, wherever you are right now, you can be assured because Jesus says in the Bible, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It says Jesus appears to many. It doesn't need to appear to you. He's already here. It doesn't need to make a grand entrance. The Bible says he is omnipresent. He is absolutely everywhere. But what does it take? It takes for you to turn around and recognize that it's there. Maybe this morning you've gone through the situations and you're struggling. Jesus, are you here? He is. Jesus, I can't see you. Are you here? Yes, he knows your name. He knows your doubts. He knows your frustrations. He says, I am here always to the end of the age. Hebrews 6 verse 19. We start with hope is here. He says, we have a hope that is steadfast and certain. And what is this hope? As we're preparing this word, this, just, this verse just came to me. And... That verse, if you, look, if you read your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 6, from verse 14 onwards, God talks about blessing Abraham and multiplying. And it says in verse 18 that God cannot lie. And Stephen, I just want to give that to you this morning, that God promises hope that is steadfast and certain of blessing and multiplication. And I really feel that you should take that personally this morning, both as campus pastor and also in your personal situation, that God cannot lie and he's promised blessing and multiplication and Hebrews 6 19 says we have a hope that is steadfast and certain so God has made his carriers of hope this morning he's made you a carrier of hope Mary what did she do when Jesus appeared she got up the Bible says and she ran and told others what about Thomas he believed because he saw that Thomas became a missionary. Tradition had it that Thomas went to India. It's not, it's not the Bible, by the way, but tradition has it. And he was martyred. And the disciples on that beach, they realized that most of them would die for the faith. The Bible says that. But Jesus was given an indication of how Peter would die. There's only John who didn't see a martyr's death. He died exiled on Patmos but the rest of the disciples were killed for their faith someone in the Bible it's written lost a life very very quickly they, they worked that out so as a good Joshua close Paul says in Romans may the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you that's you that's me may abound in hope Abound in hope. What does that mean? Have lots of hope. The hope isn't just for you. It's for those around you. And as you leave this building this morning, maybe you can take that with you. Maybe you say, actually, yeah, I can be a vessel of hope. I can be a carrier of hope. I can take hope around with me. I can carry hope wherever I go, whether it's South Africa, uh, whether it's Ilkeston, whether it's Mansfield, whether it's Newstead, whether it's Hucknall. You can be a carrier of hope. That's the guys just to put on the, the final slide. 
talking about Paul at the end of his life. I'm going to finish with this, and I ask the band if they just uh, come up, it would be great. This is the end of Acts. It says, Paul lived for two years in his rented house. He welcomed everyone who came to visit, and he urgently presented all matters of the kingdom of God. He explained everything about Jesus Christ. This is the message version. I love this final line. His door was always open. Paul, who prayed that the God of hope, he was filled with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. What an example. Paul found what it was. One day he's carrying coats of people who were stoning Stephen. And then he meets Jesus. And he's never the same again. So maybe this morning you just want to, where you sat, as a guy starts to play, let's just commit this word to God. Let's say, God, if you do something in my heart, do the work right now. Maybe you need to confess a few things this morning. We have the prayer point at the back. I'll be available after service, and if you want to talk to me, I'll pray with you. No problem at all. I'll ask Stephen and Paul of the elders, I'll also pray with you. This song here says, Your name is hope. Your name is hope. So, Father, right now, we just give this day to you, we give this week to you, we give this month to you, we give this year to you, we give our lives to you. And we confess that we don't get it right. We confess that we sometimes let our feelings get in the way of what we actually know to be true. Our Father, Lord, I just bring with sensitivity and, and sympathy those who are grieving whether recent or long-standing. Father, just be every to them. Appear right now, bringing hope. For those who, who have doubts, those who aren't sure where to go, and those who are full of confusion. As Paul said to Timothy, you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And those who are frustrated, who are not quite sure what direction they're heading in, just appear, that we might recognise your voice might recognise your face you might recognise a pathway you have for each and every one of us so right now Father just pray your blessing that this word would, this word would just sink into our hearts that we might live it every day and bring hope to those around us hope is here because you have appeared